Welcome to Tools for Tools with Ninja and the Birdman. I'm Tom Ferguson, the CEO of Rise Biscuits and Donuts, and a self-described workaholic who's found some peace and love following birds. Hi, friends. I'm Hardy Merritt, and I go by Ninja. I'm the owner of Chapel Hill Quest Martial Arts. I've been studying Toshindo Ninjutsu for 21 years, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for 16 years. I'm an avid outdoorsman, and I'm really excited to be on the podcast. Ten years ago, I was in this UNC weight loss program. And Seth was starting to go to your dojo at that point. So I said, you want to come? So I said, sure. Do you remember us back then at the very beginning? Yeah, I actually remember seeing you guys come in. I was like, who are these two? Uh, two pretty big looking guys coming in, uh, painted toenails, uh, <laughs> tank tops, lots of tattoos. Yeah, man, I was like 265 back then, man, and like like a marshmallow. <laughs> that boy would have walked in. And you passed this on to Amy, and Amy was the one training us to begin with. That's right. We had a... A female instructor at the dojo who actually was one of the toughest people that we ever ever had, and uh, I figured she would be the one to get you guys whipped into shape. And she did a great job. I think you worked out with her for over a year. Maybe been two years. Might have been two years. Yeah, it was a while. We switched over to you. Um, Yeah, we were working out twice a week. Yep. Uh, We were doing pretty much the ninjutsu stuff at that point. Yep. Did started working in a little bit of workout stuff later on as we went, but and doing some jujitsu as well. But it was a it was a lot of fun with her. Yeah, I remember you guys were doing the full doing the full program y'all were throwing medicine balls at each other and hitting pads and throwing each other down and choking each other out so yeah that was the thing she had to be careful about i remember, I remember the first time that seth had me down and we were actually doing jiu-jitsu and he got me to try to tap out first and yeah. i was like like is he here tap out or have him crest my forehead waking me up <laughs> and i was like i'll tap out i'll go ahead and take the tap on that <laughs> nobody wants to to wake up to that and then, and then we we started working out with you about two years later yep and that evolved into a lot of different things. We did. We used to go out to the jungle, yep. the place out there, and you'd have us shooting guns and running, chopping wood, flipping tires. Yeah, that I consider that to be one of my greatest successes. I had you guys come and pay me to clean up the trees that had fallen down on my property. Yeah, it was brilliant. We yeah, were yeah. chopping trees for you and moving around. Yeah, those are really. It was really great out there. But then it, we would only really do that in the fall and the winter because the ticks would get bad. Yeah, right? the, the the ticks are crazy out there. They'll uh, they'll pick you up and carry you away. And now you've got to worry about uh, meat allergies. You got to worry about um, you know Lyme disease and Rocky Mountain spotted fever. And I had this killer picture of me flipping the big tire. Yep. Like I know I I'm, I'm the only one who flipped. It. I know Seth didn't flip that. If he's listening, I flipped that one. You flipped and that I have one. a picture of myself flipping it. And like I was in great shape then. It was freaking awesome. And then we we started doing bike rides together too, and that's where I really think we started talking about our own personal philosophy on stuff. Well, there was nothing else to do. We were riding on the tobacco trail, which is completely flat at six in the morning. Yeah, until you got to a place where you just took off, and I had to try to keep up with you at that point because I would be like sandbagging it, like, "Hey, let's talk more about donuts and biscuits." And then you'd be like, uh, "Well, like, I'm supposed to be working them out, so let's go." Well, I was I was trying to avoid trying to give you ideas for donuts and biscuits, which I figured you were getting enough of those from everybody else. Yeah. I only got like fucking a hundred a day. I kept secretly hoping you were going to make a ninja donut though. I wanted like dark chocolate frosting with little ninja eyes and stuff, <laughs> but I didn't want to be the one to suggest it. it was too obvious. Thank you for not suggesting it because it was all I could do to like keep talking to people as they would tell me their elaborate donut ideas that they had in those days. So Hardy, why do they call you ninja? That's a long story, Tom. When I was five years old in 1984 i was laying on the floor at my grandma's house after school watching gi joe and there was this character snake eyes and i didn't know what it was about him but i wanted to be him and i spent 
the rest of my childhood obsessed with anything and everything about ninja. There was a guy named Stephen Hayes who was famous. He came back from Japan and he kind of introduced America to real ninjutsu. It wasn't the sort of cheesy stuff with people doing flips and, you know, throwing, throwing stars and taking helicopters down and that sort of stuff. And I found an opportunity at the Quest Center right after it opened to officially start training in real ninjutsu. What Mr. Hayes calls it now is Toshindo. And Toshindo is a play on the words of ninjutsu. If you break the kanji, the Japanese character, into two words, it's to and shin. So this is the way of ninjutsu, but it's a cool way to say it. So I started training there 21 years ago under Stephen Hayes, you know, fulfilling a childhood dream of mine. And I guess, you know, considering some of the stuff that I've done, I'm not just a martial arts teacher. I've been fortunate enough to have been paid for my skills in different ways, and I'm, I feel pretty comfortable calling myself Ninja. So, Tom, why do they call you the Birdman? Well, that's a short story. It's about three months old. Um, I just finished a really rough year in my life, maybe two years, and I went to a doctor and looking for some help, and he said, man, what you really need is a hobby. And for some reason, I've been thinking about bird watching for the last few years, and I just popped up, how about bird watching? He started laughing, and I kind of was, why was he laughing at me? Did you not think I could do that? What was the deal? And I started, all these emotions started going through me. And then he said, oh, I wasn't really laughing at you. I was just like, can you slow down long enough to birdwatch? Okay. So I went home and just went deep drone syndrome into the computer and dove into all these websites, these YouTube videos, websites, learning whatever I could, watching YouTube videos on equipment needed, going to those sites, looking at their equipment, going to clubs, joining clubs, joined three clubs at that point in the Audubon Society. And then I read The Big Year. And that, once I found there was a competitive angle to birding, that was like the hook, man. It was hooked and I was ready to go. That was all it took. That was it, man. Hypermanic bird, man. Hypermanic. So for the listeners out there who don't know, Tom, can you tell them what The Big Year is? Oh, yeah, I can. So the big year is something I've been doing for like over a hundred years, I believe. Uh, it started, they would hunt on like Christmas and bag the most birds. And then they were killing a lot of birds. So they're like, okay, well, let's do this competition of a bird count. And they, they do it through the year. It starts on January 1st and it goes all the way to December 31st. And you count the most birds that you either see or hear in the calendar year in America and up into Canada. And it's done in the honor system. So you don't have to see them you could hear them and you write them and no one can really question you. Although I think they know who the cheaters are. Sure. Yeah. So it's whoever has the most birds that year. So you don't have to document them or anything. It's you, you have to write them down and there's a lot of good apps and stuff for documenting what birds you see. I, I can't identify birds that fast in the field. So I have to take pictures. So I've really, that's why I've gone crazy with photography with the photography and what apps can you use? The eBird is the one that most people use and it's run by Cordell university and they have an app where they keep track of birds all around and they're doing it for scientific reasons and all the birders are kind of helping them with that information. Guys like me who are just out taking pictures and trying to count birds, uh, they have a name for it. They call us dudes. And, and we're like, people don't know much about birds who take a lot of pictures. And I think it's like, yeah, there's another dude. I'm that other dude. 
So we've been working out for close to a decade now, and I'm sure off and on, uh, probably five or six times we've suggested, or I've suggested we all go camping because we had fun when we were working out in the woods. A few months ago, we had a camping trip that actually worked out. And I want to know from you, like, what was it that made it where you would come with me finally? Yeah, I used to camp, like, before my daughter was born. Gray and I would camp a lot. That's 17 years ago. We camped the last time I camped. And you say, and I'm like, well, what am I going to do when I'm out there? You know, just hang around, sit around, fire, cook a lot. That's what I'd done camping before. Sure. But when I was getting into this bird stuff, I had all this gear. And I'm like, I want to go try it. And I want to go see some birds. And this seemed like a really good opportunity to do it. And when you asked me, I was like super excited. I was glad you were able to come. We had four or five other people that were we were trying to figure out how to get into the trip. And everybody wound up bell. And even some people on the day of. And I literally bought my gear. I was like, since you, since you know, hey, what gear do I need? Because I was like, oh, I'm ready to go camping with Artie. And then I went and bought all this gear. And I had it. And it was raining. And they said, hey, everybody else is bailing. Do you still want to go? And I'm like. Is he trying to get out of this? I just bought <laughs> all this gear. And I'm like, no, I still want to go. And he said, great, let's go. So, yeah, no, I was pumped. I thought for sure you were going to be like, nah, it's going to be wet and cold. And, but that's when camping's fun to me. No, the hypermanic part already started kicking in. It already kicked in. Yeah, I was ready to go. So I'm taking my gear and loading all this new equipment for bird watching and camera stuff in it. And I got huge, I even traded in my car to buy a truck. Yep. So I bought a truck, wanted to go off-roading. Um, the moment for me to let go of the control was we're driving down that path and there's just all these branches out like claws and I have a brand new truck and you're like, go for it, dude, get the first scratch, do it, do it. So we did it. I got the first scratch. Yeah. I was super proud of you. The, uh, the, the truck itself is a a monster of one of the, the Ford Raptors with these big burly tires and a big change from the vehicle that you had prior to it. And, uh, I, I was excited that you wanted to take it. It was it, it was a tank. It was meant for pushing through those briars. I, I, I feel kind of bad. I don't, not everybody will know this, but uh, Tom let me back it down the trail. We let you, I was like scared to, <laughs> well, we, we were going down this pretty, pretty steep trail on the side of a mountain. I, I thought I could get him into this uh, pretty cool place that we parked. We wouldn't have to hike very far, but we ran across a big tree that it was across the road. We couldn't move, couldn't pull it out of the way. So we had to back the truck, a pretty big truck back down the trail and the rhododendron branches were kind of hanging out on the side and I hit a vine and I pulled Tom's mirror backwards. So this was a super embarrassing moment for me, but now Tom's got a duct tape on the side. Yeah, man. 395 duct tape fixed it. It's good to go. It's still there. I don't really know if I'll ever fix it. It, it looks pretty tough. So then we get there and we're going down to our camping site and I have this, my big new backpack full of so much shit. And then I have another camera bag. Hardy's like, well, it's about a mile down this hill. It's not so bad going down, but it's rough coming up and I'm getting ready to put my, I put my backpack on and then I'm getting ready to put the camera bag in the front. He says, dude, I'll carry that for you. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. It, it looked like a pretty big, pretty awkward bag. <laughs> it was, it was really nice having a guy carry my bags. I felt like those English explorers who would have people carry their crap everywhere. <laughs> felt like very special. That, that's nice. I'm glad I could, I could portage your, your <laughs> equipment for you. I felt kind of guilty at that point. Once we got there, I, I saw how the, um, the train was looking. It was kind of wet and slippery. I knew the trail we were going to go down was going to be slick. And I also knew the camera equipment's not inexpensive. So I didn't want that to fall and mess up the whole premise of the trip. I wanted you to have fun. So you'd come back with me again. Well, the, the biggest surprise of the whole trip is we were going down and the water, the river was rushing like really hard. So it was like <laughs> the whole time. And we couldn't hear a bird for shit. All you could hear was <laughs> there's the water rushing, rushing, whatever that's called. And I'm like listening for birds. You can't hear shit. We didn't see one freaking bird in three days that we were down there. It was like unbelievable. I'm like already with my gear. I got my scope out, which I have a scope in a valley. It's stupid. But I have everything out testing it, which is nice to play with it. But no birds. 
my trip was equally fruitless. I wanted to go down and do some fishing, and I had a nibble. I had one nibble on two days of fishing. So The biggest success for me was the 12 to 13 hours of sleep we got each night. It, it was a very restful trip. It was really cold. I had my new tent. I was nice and nice. I wouldn't get out to take a piss, so I just stayed in my tent. But I know that I slept 13 hours. I'd get up, and Hardy was up. And he said, I just woke up. I think he's trying to make me feel better. Like He'd probably been up for four hours, but I know I got 13 hours sleep two nights yeah, I, I, I slept pretty well. It was good. I have a uh, I have a hammock that I like to camp in called the Hennessy Hammock, and uh, it honestly, I get the best night's sleep in that, even better than I do in my bed a lot of times, because you, you get a little sway from the breeze, and it cradles you. It's a, it, it's like laying in you know somebody's arms. It's so nice. What I was really needing out there, though, like why I slept, why it was so relaxing for me, is I needed that break. I was so caught up in my own shit and work and personal matters or whatever, and felt like trapped. And I was that was like a a moment of rebirth in a lot of ways for me. It was that moment of letting go of that and embracing this bird thing that yeah. I'm into now. Even though there were no birds, it didn't really matter. I was on that. It was the first steps in that journey. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm glad that worked out for you because that's the, that's the thing about going out and camping, going out in nature that I really like, especially up there when we go to the mountains. You can't, your phone doesn't pick up anything, so you don't get any distractions. You don't have you know, the alert going off and breaking your concentration, so you're trying to balance four or five things in your mind. You can go and focus on what you're doing. Just building the fire is, is one of my favorite things because there's no distraction. I get to do something. It's not going to be permanent, so I'm not sweating it. And All right. For, for me, not going outside really for anything except to play golf and get frustrated and then play shitty the first nine and then start drinking the second nine, I didn't have that reconnection with nature that yeah. i started to get then and now i'm you know i'm outside a lot taking pictures of birds and that was the first breakthrough you know when i got back from the trip i was reflecting on it a lot because we had had these pretty open conversations uh, where we shared a lot of stuff and we both talked a lot about meditation and you suggested that we do a podcast yeah I, i've been thinking the you know, podcast is the right kind of media to help get some of the meditation tools some of the martial arts tools out in the the broader world there's there's old techniques that can really enhance how you can focus how you can stay calm how you can make good decisions under pressure and i feel like martial arts gives us a laboratory to practice it but also like being outside being in nature does so you've had the opportunity to do that in your dojo and share meditation with people yep and i've done a couple of talks with groups about how meditation has helped me and that response it just looks like people are really hungry for this yeah and people need it yeah and they're so tied up with electronics that they just don't relax and find that spot and i can't say that i'm always in that spot man because sure. i've been up and down through through this last couple of years for sure but when i do find that piece you know it's, it's worth sharing it's I, so i kind of have to share my truth to be able to share its effect sure i mean we as a as an animal we're, we're really good at handling acute stress you know if something was coming to get us and we had to run and fight and deal with it we can we, we can handle that pretty well but now with the electronics with constant alerts with the stress of daily life and maintaining a a, a, a lifestyle that we feel like we need to maintain we're like under constant chronic stress so these this this truth this meditation this this peace this ability to disconnect or, or or reconnect with something more important is even more necessary now we knew there was something to it and just to make sure that the higher spirits or gods or whatever wanted to make sure that we went through this right when you said tools for tools i saw something in a tree i said hey stop that's something over there and we stopped and went look it was a red shoulder hawk yeah, it was massive. And it was my number 100th bird. <laughs> I was like, 
I think we almost both teared up and said, well, we got to freaking do this now. Yeah, and that, that was clearly an auspicious moment, right? It was clearly like Tools for Tools was then blessed at that point. So guys, if you're out there listening, this is why we're doing it. Trying to help you. The God's made us, so we're here. Yeah, we, you know, we called it Tools for Tools because I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Tom and I both are pretty big tools. We, we're knuckleheads. We've, we've made a lot of mistakes. And on that camping trip, again, it's just the two of us out there at night. Like We had some really open conversations and a lot of uh, interesting parallel challenges and different challenges. And we both have found some unique solutions that we want to try to share through this podcast to, uh, to potentially help some of the other tools out there because we know there's more people like us. We're going to look at some of the tools that I bring to it from the martial arts perspective. Uh, Tom has got some tools and uh, things that he's picked up in a bunch of different programs and things that he's gone through. We're going to talk about how physical training can help, time in nature. Chasing birds, man, that's total meditation. Or even logging them and categorizing them as meditation, too. So in a, in a deep way that... I haven't plugged anything into in a while. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and for those of you out there listening, if you're stressed, if you're tired, if you, if you don't know what to do, if you're pulling your hair out, you're getting mad really easy, you're getting anxious really easy, like this is for you. This this is the podcast for you. Again, like we're a couple of tools, a couple of knuckleheads that have, we've seen the light. We, we're not there. We, we're chasing the light right now, but it's there. There, there. There's something there for you. I'm a bird watcher. I'm a bird watcher. Watching birds go by. Fly, fly, fly. I'm a bird watcher. I'm a bird watcher. There goes one now. For this episode's bird of the day, it's the American crow. You know what's so cool about the American crow is that the crow can recognize faces so when it sees a human's face and the human's an asshole to it it remembers that the human's an asshole to it not only does it remember but the crow tells its other crow friends that that person's an asshole not only that but the next generation is warned about that asshole human walking around that's mean to crows so don't be mean to crows Today's inspiration is a quote from a famous samurai, Miyamoto Musashi, who wrote the Book of Five Rings, or the Go Rin No Sho in Japanese. And the quote is, when in a fight to the death, one wants to employ all one's weapons to the utmost. I must say that to die with one's sword still sheathed is most regrettable. In the tools for tools idea of using things to help yourself move forward, elevate yourself, a weapon is just a tool. It's a labor-saving device. If you're struggling, don't die with your sword still sheathed. Use everything that you have, everything at your disposal to elevate yourself. Yeah, man, this is really fun to get started on this. I got so many freaking tools I want to share with people, and I know you have a lot too. Can't wait to get started. I'm going to throw in some birding things too so people can learn a little bit about that don't have to go down that crazy rabbit hole i've been now i'm excited man i'm excited to tell a lot of the stories some of the stuff that that we've talked about some of the stuff we've gone through and then I, i'm excited for you to share some of the stories that you shared with me and to see what everybody else's reaction is to that man we're all kind of on our knees looking for a little bit of relief and some tools to help us so this would be a great way for us to share it and maybe bring some other people in to kind of give their input or at least some other ideas absolutely man 
Well, everybody out there listening, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to this intro. We'll see you next time on Tools for Tools with Ninja and the Birdman. Ooh.